everybody. I'm Terry Kerr. I'm the manager of Big Screen's Little Folks program in as part of the Wisconsin Film Festival. And Ben Reiser, our director of operations and a member of the programming team for Big Screen's Little Folks is here. And our very special guest, Paolo Choining Dorji. And he is the director of Lunana. Uh, a yak in the classroom. And Paolo, we're so really thrilled to have you here and to be able to share your film with our Wisconsin audience. So welcome to Wisconsin. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Terry, Ben. Uh, for me, you know, as I shared with two of you, um, Lunana, my, my film has traveled around the world, traveled to many film festivals in America as well. But I was particularly excited about uh, it coming to Wisconsin because uh, Wisconsin has always played such an important role in my life. And I feel, you know, in, in, in a very uh, sentimental way, I feel like it's the movie is coming home. <laughs> that is so great. Yeah. Tell us about your Wisconsin, uh, the Wisconsin period of your life. So um, I am a son of a diplomat. So I, you know, changed my school a number of times before I graduated high school. Actually, I changed my school 11 times before I finished my high school. And I studied in all parts of the world, from Europe to village schools in Bhutan, like Lunana, uh, in, in the Middle East. Uh, and I did my uh, 12th grade in an American boarding school in South India. And through that, through the American connection, uh, I ended up uh, going to America for my college. And, uh, you know, for me, um, I, I really hadn't been to America before and I, I didn't really know about the colleges there. But when I applied, there's a small liberal arts college in Appleton um, and they gave me a very, uh, uh, you know, amazing uh, financial aid package. And I ended up studying there for four years. and. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, the college uh, really, the college experience there really opened my eyes up uh, to uh, the art of storytelling. And uh, that's, you know, uh, that's where I find myself now. You know, eventually I became a storyteller. That's amazing. How did you get from your college days? And it was at Lawrence University, right? Yeah. So um, there? I, I think because it's a liberal arts college, it really opened up uh, my mind and uh, when I graduated from uh, college uh, you know with a degree from Lawrence I um, I became very curious about the world I was living in about about you know about myself as well and what I wanted to do and I ended up uh, joining a monastery in the Himalayas in northern India and I lived there and, uh, you know, when you find yourself in a monastery in the Himalayas, you are surrounded by the most intriguing stories. And I started off as a photographer because I wanted to record these stories. So I, I would always end up taking photos. And then you could say that slowly, slowly, eventually the images started moving and I ended up becoming a filmmaker. And uh, th th that's, that's, great. that's, you know, amazing. even with Lunana, we can talk more about it. It's it's not, you know, I always tell people that it's not like I just, you know, created the story. Every element of the story is uh, inspired uh, by uh, real people, true events. Uh, and that, that's that's the kind of storyteller I am. I, I, I get inspired by what I experience personally, what I see, uh, what I hear. 
and I feel like I, you know, as a storyteller, I want to uh, share these stories with the world. Can I jump in for a second, Terry? Um, th- oh yeah, yeah uh, uh, there are there are these really um, personal and kind of intimate feel like that, like you said, that these are moments and 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 details from real life, and I'm wondering how much of it is from your real life how much of this is uh in some way autobiographical how much do you relate to uh the protagonist of this film i i keep thinking about this really beautiful scene where the head of the village the village leader uh insists that the teacher uh eat from this wooden bowl and it really is very affecting to that teacher and he talks about his grandmother who we've met at the beginning of the movie and i just wondered where that detail comes from that's actually my own story uh you know as i was telling the two of you being a son of a diplomat i always grew up outside bhutan and i think you know there's a very beautiful saying in 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 bhutanese culture and that is that our eyelashes are so close we cannot see them and um you know uh with bhutanese culture that's what i feel i feel like for many people living in bhutan like the protagonist um, we are so close to our culture that we, you know, overlook the beauty and the preciousness of it. But for me, you know, having lived abroad my entire life, coming back in, I'm, I, get, I have a very outsider look on our culture and uh, how fragile it is. It is, you know, um, it is disappearing because in the world, you know, Bhutan is on this quest to be modern to be western and you know in that quest we are losing what makes us unique and for me like the wooden bowl story that's that that that's from my own life you know when i was a kid i used to live with my grandfather and uh, you know every night we would sit on the floor to eat our dinner and every night around the same time around like 7 p.m as everyone sat on the floor around in a circle the electricity would go off because that's just the way it was. And then we would have to start pumping our kerosene lanterns, you know. And then uh, he would always eat in his wooden bowl. And uh, because I was the, the youngest grandchild, he would always give me the honor of letting me eat on the cover of his wooden bowl. And uh, that is seen as a big honor. And uh, of course, these are stories now that are not happening in Bhutan. Because in Bhutan, like I remember when we ate dinners like that, you know, the entire family would sit together, we would laugh together, we would fight together. But now that doesn't happen anymore, you know. Uh, people are uh, either tick-tocking in their rooms, uh, each member of the family is in a different room, they don't see each other. And I wanted to uh, capture this moment uh, and share it with the rest of the Bhutanese and be like, this is how, you know, we actually, you know, how we have our meals. <laughs> But you know, Ben, it's interesting. So it's interesting you brought up this point because every element uh, that the Ugin goes through is actually my story. Um, the entire story about the glaciers melting—that is what the—that—that's what my guide told me when I went hiking in the mountains. Um, uh, you know, in a way, what Ugin discovers about the Bhutanese culture is what I went through as an outsider coming back to my own country. And and you bookend the film really wonderfully with modern, you know, a modern uh, city, fairly modern city and his life there and then his journey. 
his very, rather you know difficult journey <laughs> to get to Lunana. And then in the end, when he's back in uh, Sydney, um, you know, again in the bar, you know, so yeah, there's a wonderful uh, sort of, uh, yeah, the contrast between those two places is just amazing. Um, I know that the film was actually shot in Lunana, right? And and in the film, they have to walk many, many days to get there. Did you and your crew have to walk into uh, Lunana? Uh, given the time constraint, we actually, in the beginning, <laughs> what uh, our plan was, was to we would shoot in the city and then walk up. But actually the walk up uh, for uh, uh, you know uh, us, it would take two weeks and uh, the co- the cost of uh, having the entire crew cast walk up through like the most difficult trekking route for two weeks and just the risk factor you know uh, the actor might break a leg we might lose the camera it was just too much uh, and it was coming out more expensive than just uh, you know hiring a chopper and dropping us all off at once so at the end uh, we ended up hiring the chopper but we did live up there for two and a half months, which was an amazing experience. Um, you know, when we got up there, I didn't even know we would be able to complete the movie because, uh, you know, trying to make a film in a place where there's no electricity, no telephone network, it's just very, very challenging. Um, in fact, when we were making the film, we only had enough solar energy to charge the camera and the sound uh, batteries. So I didn't even have uh, my dailies. So it was almost like we were shooting on film. We would shoot and then I only saw the footage a month after we left Lunana. So many times in Lunana, I kept thinking, oh, are we getting everything? You know, Are we actually getting a movie here? Uh, but uh, I think it, it it's, it's a very organic experience. It makes you really, you know, um, being in such a place, you really grow into Lunana, but also you grow into the characters up there. Because other than the main characters, everyone else is from Lunana. Uh, and we really, you know, bonded with them. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, you know, for two and, in two and a half months, I was only able to take one shower. Uh, you're in a place where, you know, shower uh, is, is a foreign concept. They don't know what it is. Uh, there's no running water, uh, forget about hot water. Uh, and even the people who acted in the film, you know, you are making a film with actors who don't know the concept of cinema. They have never watched a film in their lives. But that is what makes it so special. You get the genuineness, you know. Like, for example, that scene where the children are brushing their teeth. That's the very first time in their lives they're tasting toothpaste. And when I realized that they don't they don't brush their teeth i wanted to capture that on on the in the movie and we didn't even have rehearsals for it because i wanted to really capture the first time you know a eight-year-old nine-year-old tastes toothpaste for the first time and then you can really see it in their faces you know Paolo, i wanted to ask you um i you bring up something which 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 uh, was a question that i had watching it um because i because because the the village is is so remote and there is no electricity and the children don't seem to have any sort of pop culture references at all they don't know they've never seen a car they as you said they haven't seen movies they don't have TVs or anything like that i'm curious what is it who convinced them what was the motivation in these remote villages like this 
to have them learn English? Like what what was said to the villages to say we we want we think it would be in your benefit to learn English? And how were they convinced that that was something they should do? Uh, I get that question question a lot because I think people find it very strange that in such a remote place people are learning English. But then uh, you know the Bhutanese government. Uh, mm. You know, I'm very proud uh, of my government and of my king for all the uh, policies they have implemented. Um, as you know, uh, Bhutan is known around the world for being a happy country. Um, mm-hmm. Wherever I go, whenever I say I'm Bhutanese, they ask me, are you happy? Um, you must be happy. But then uh, <laughs> together with that, you know, the something that the government implemented from the 1960s was that, okay, you know, our population is only like 500,000 at that time. We speak a language uh, that is probably one of the, you know, the rarest spoken languages in the world. Uh, you know, where will we be if we only are able to speak our language? Because if you go beyond our land, you know, we will be handicapped. We won't be able to speak to anyone. So from the 1960s, right from my, the introduction of schooling in Bhutan, what the government decided was that everyone would be taught English. The, the schools, uh, you know, the medium of instruction, math, science, history, geography, everything will be taught in English. And our own language would be taught as a second language. So in that way, you know, uh, schools all across Bhutan, be it in the city or as remote as Lunana, they're taught English. Uh, and um, that, you know, makes it possible for uh, Bhutanese people like myself to have a conversation with the, the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> We're grateful for that. Um, let me ask you about another really important element in the film, and that is the singing in the film. I was really moved and impressed by the fact that everybody in Lunana sings or almost everybody. They, you know, is it Michin? Is that the character who says all the actors have to sing? And um, little Pemzam, you know, gets up and sings. She said, I want to be a singer. And they sing the national anthem and everybody sings all the time. And and is that true of Lunana, first of all. And secondly, could you speak a little bit about that wonderful use of music and how it really tells the story in a whole other level? Um, singing, music, uh, dancing is a very, very important uh, uh, you know, aspect of Bhutanese culture. Uh, we are very fun-loving. If you guys ever come to Bhutan, you will know that uh, we love uh, drinking. Uh, and together with that, songs, music, dance, it all comes together. Uh, But uh, one of the reasons why I decided to use uh, two particular songs in the movie, one is the Yak song, and one is the song that they sing as they are, you know, going in a circle in the end of the movie. And when Michin and, you know, uh, they all, uh, the the, the guides take the teacher up, it's called Rangsem. And the reason why I wanted to particularly put these two songs in the movie is because one of the reasons I really made this movie is is that I wanted to capture the uniqueness of the Bhutanese culture. And um, these two songs are actually very, very traditional, old, classical songs, which are being forgotten now because um, there's this movement in Bhutan where everyone wants to sing pop songs. You know, everyone sings modern pop songs. And then um, there are also Bhutanese rap songs now. And in this whole movement to try to be modern, 
beautiful classic songs that tell the story of Bhutan, like these two, are being forgotten. And in a way, what, what I did was uh, to, to bring these two old songs and put it in a modern movie, I'm trying to, you know, make it more relevant. And, and I'm happy to say that now, uh, after the movie's success, these songs have suddenly, you know, become relevant again. I'm hearing all kinds of, uh, you know, different versions of these songs being played now by the youth, which is which is amazing. And, uh, you know, music is always important to our culture because it's just not singing, you know. It really, just as these two songs, particularly the Yak song, it really tells the story of the culture, you know. Uh, you know, because with the Yak song, it's about living one with nature, uh, you know, the perfect balance between the world we live in and us. It talks about reincarnation, which is very important to our Buddhist culture. And I think it's important to sing the songs of our uh, of, of our past. Uh, Paolo, yeah, we, it... um, we're showing this film as part of the uh, Big Screen's Little Folks section of the festival. And that's sort of how it came to us as like a film that had been shown at other sort of children's film festivals or in the sort of family section of other festivals. But as I watch the film... I really think it is a wonderful film for children to see, but I also don't feel that you uh, are particularly catering to uh, a young audience. I don't feel like you make any compromises in the pacing of the film. Uh, it takes a long time to get to Lunana. We feel every step of that journey. Um, and, and you know, there's a couple of swear words. There's drinking at the beginning. I, I wonder when you were preparing the film and making the film, what was the audience that you thought of as as the as the as your as your sort of target audience and and if it was for young children or or, or for children did, did anyone ask you to compromise anything along the way and was there pressure to to maybe you know trim it a little bit or or take out some of those sort of body or elements like the the guy peeing like uh, no, actually, when, when I made the when I wrote out the script and started making the movie, I never really uh, intended for it to be made uh, for for children, uh, you know. Um, and actually, I was quite surprised because one of the film festivals, uh, when we first sent it out, they said that they're putting it in the children's section, and I was like, oh, that's that's. I mean, I, I wasn't upset or anything, but I I thought I was like, oh, that's that's strange. Like you know, I never intended it to be like that, but you know that I, I'm fine with that. Actually, I think uh, a movie that caters to the general family audience. Uh, is is much better because it you know it it's a wider audience you can reach across to, uh, but for audience wise you know I really wanted to touch upon uh, I wanted to tell a story that was um, culturally linguistically geographically very very diverse I'm talking now about the international audience that I, I intended this movie for you know I wanted to make a movie and tell a story that was very diverse in every sense you know I mean pe the men are wearing skirts you know it's about the stories about yak dung you know it's about the world's most remote school but at the end within this diverse di diversity I wanted it to be a story that everyone could relate to uh, and at the end, that is, you know, seeking where you belong, whether you are in Wisconsin or whether you are in Lunana 
all human beings, you know, we are always seeking where we belong. That's why we live life at the end, you know. Uh, in Bhutanese culture, we say, we call sentient beings uh, droa semchen. Droa means someone that's always perpetually in movement. And what we say is people, all beings from the smallest organism to the most complex beings, which are human beings, we are perpetually moving every moment and we are moving because we are always seeking out happiness we are seeking out where we belong and this is what this movie is about at the end you know within this diversity it's about finding where you truly belong feeling at home and i'm happy because um the film has relatively done well and and you know uh no matter where it went oh terry's gone yeah she'll be back okay uh, but uh, no matter where the film has gone, you know, from um, the Middle East in uh, in Cairo uh, or um, in uh, Israel, you know, people have been able to relate to this diverse story that they have never heard before and, you know, connect with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's wonderful. And, and, and I know that I know that this film has been actually been one of the most popular films so far as far as ticket reservations in our festival. So I, I know it's breaking out of its sort of children's section of the festival and that people uh, who bought tickets to the festival, or bought passes to the festival are, are eager to see it. Um, I love I love the things that you do and don't do within this sort of genre and sort of tradition of this kind of fish out of water film, uh, which I think there have been many sort of similar stories that have gotten told certainly in Hollywood movies. And I'm sure, you know, plenty of international films. Uh, but I'm thinking of the kind of films like doc Hollywood with, um, Michael J. Fox, where there's a, where there's somebody who's sort of forced into this sort of rural, uh, setting, uh, that they don't really want to be at at first. And then they, they come to gradually sort of appreciate and love the people and that, and that climate. And, and, but I, I really like the way that you um, avoid a lot of the sort of tropes and cliches of that genre. Um, mo- mo- maybe most, the thing that stands out to me among a lot of the other things is that it doesn't take that long for Ugin to really fall in love with the place. It isn't the kind of typical story structure where it's not until sort of midway through the third act that he suddenly realizes, oh my God, these people have made this great impression on me and I don't want to leave. Uh, you know, we get the sense fairly early on, like, you know, uh, maybe two days after he's been there, like when, he, you know, he first says, I'm going to leave. But then when they're ready to take him, he is like, no, no. And 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 from that point on, he really sort of embraces and, and his, you know, the, the conflict that he has is a different one. It's because he still has this dream of Australia and it's this sort of like the pull of that. But he really... So I love that, and I wonder how conscious you were of sort of uh, studying other films in the genre and thinking about ways you wanted to diverge from that, or whether, you know, you didn't think of this film that way, and you just were telling this story that you had in your head, and, um, you know, and and, and it's just its own thing. Well, you know... um... As with any film, there's all you you always draw inspiration from other films, and with Lunana Yak in the classroom, I think the one comment that people always says is, "Oh, it's 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 a story that's been told a thousand times before." You know, a mm-hmm. urban person finding himself in an unusual setting, and then he learns to embrace it. 
but I feel like uh, this is a story that is happening that needs to be told because it is what's happening in Bhutan. You know, many people say, oh, why Australia? That's because as of now, you know, Bhutan is losing thousands and thousands of uh, our youth to Australia. Uh, many, many youth go there. Uh, and uh, for, for this particular film, uh, inspiration-wise, I watched a lot of uh, films um, that, uh, you know, um, Jiang Yimou made. Uh, there's a film called uh, The Road Home. And there's another mm -hmm. film called um, Not One Less, which are both shot in rural schools. Uh, if you watch those two films, there are many like, um, you know, scenes that I've put in Lunana that kind of pays homage to that those two movies, which I felt was, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so they are my favorite movies as well. Uh, but, um, you know, to be frank, uh, I never really um, tried to stay, you know, try to be dictated in a way how I should tell the movie. It, it, it all organically grew. And even while I was in Lunana, you know, uh, according to the place, according to the people, the story kept evolving. Um, like, for example, th there's a scene where Ugin walks out and then she, he sees an old woman living in a, like a tarpaulin tent. You know, and he says, oh, what are you doing here? And they say, oh, you know, we don't have a school in our village, so we're here. Th that wasn't even in the scene, in, in the script before. Like, while we were shooting, what happened was I kept, like, walking past the school and I kept seeing this old lady in a tarpaulin tent. And when I looked in, you know, there's her grandchild doing her homework and she's trying to make a fire, you know, there. And finally, after three days, I was like, what is happening here? And she said, oh, you know, I don't have a school in my village and I wanted, I want my child, grandchild to have an education. So we came here. We don't have a house, so we're living here. And I was so inspired by that. So I decided to put that in the movie. But, you know, I could have, like, built on that more but i felt like if I, if i built more it would take away from ugen's journey and i was telling my fellow filmmakers i was like this could be a film by itself you know so i just right. took the grandmother took the grandchild and then put them in the movie and be like okay you, you just tell tell your story uh even pemzam like for example i wrote a character that was similar to pemzam but when i went up there i i discovered pemzam and then i realized she comes from this broken family, you know, um, but she has this confidence and this, this just this genuine beauty about her. And I decided to put her in the movie. But what I did was I kind of replaced the character I had created with her life story. So she is mm -hmm. whatever you see in, in a way, this is where I think uh, films like Nomadland and Lunana are kind of similar because there are actually real characters playing themselves. So Pemzam, Aja, they're all playing themselves, you know. Um, they're just telling their story. And that's that's how you, I think, use people who have never seen a cinema, pe people who have never seen a film before. You tell them, just tell your story, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that doesn't always work out. And it's really impressive the performances that you're able to get from these non-professionals and able to get people behave like themselves on camera it's it's i think i mean I, i'm i'm sure you've discovered this it's not as easy as it as it sounds you tell somebody just play yourself <laughs> and it up some of the times 
it helps if the person has never seen a film before because if That's you tell true, someone right. who knows what cinema is be yourself suddenly like he says oh you know am i you, you know, they, they, they have all these concepts but if someone has yeah. never watched a film before and they're like tell your story but don't look into this box you know then they're like oh okay we'll just be ourselves <laughs> right I was also really impressed by your ability to weave all those stories together in something that seems very seamless, even though I know that you picked up stories from the people as you met them and that it seems as though the script was continually evolving. And um, I, I just can imagine your crew and how they might have had to follow you along <laughs> as you're changing and evolving this story. But it seems very seamless. It's amazing. But you know, Terry, I had it easy because uh, there are so many inspiring stories which I kind of weaved together. Uh, what always I always wanted to make a film about, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the rural schools. And the thing is, no matter how remote I went, it wasn't remote enough because now the reach of globalization is so, uh, so much that, you know, most of the remote villages have transformed and Lunana is like the last village that is hanging on to the old traditional ways and when I decided to make a film in Lunana I started interviewing all these teachers and then each one told me beautiful stories you know one teacher told me oh you know uh, I, I, I had to burn yak dung and I, I was too lazy to climb up the mountain so I put a yak in the classroom and I was like wow that would be so amazing in a film <laughs> then someone else said oh you know uh, there was no blackboard so I wrote on the wall you know and I was like, oh even that you know so it, I had it very easy and I'm, I'm very grateful to everyone who inspired me to uh, share this story with everyone. I love the double meaning of the of the English title of, of Yak in the Classroom, because clearly, yes, there is a yak in the classroom, but we also discover halfway through the film that uh, Asha sees uh, Ugin himself as a yak. And, and I, I love I love that it that it works both ways like that. When at what point in the process did you come up with that concept and that and that? Well, the thing is, uh, when I was trying to weave in uh, the yak song and uh, the 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 teacher, it kind of then came together because uh, uh, I wanted when I made the uh, wrote the script, I always wanted the yak song to be like the heart and soul of the story. Uh, because I feel like through the Yak song, we can really, you know, uh, it tells, like I said earlier, it tells the story of Bhutan, it tells the story of Lunana. And, uh, you know, as we were looking at the meaning of the song, the significance of the song, it's about the Yak returning. So then I was like, oh, why not we make it like this, you know? And that is the, also, in a way, I'm touching upon the beauty of uh, Bhutanese culture. Because within all this, we have, uh, you know, I mean, some people might think it's a very backward belief, but it is who we are, you know, and we, we should embrace our beliefs, our spiritual beliefs. And uh, reincarnation is a very, very important aspect of our lives, you know. Uh, it defines us, our culture, our spiritual path, and, you know, it, it, it defines the way we see the world. And I think we should embrace that. Well, I love the fact that in the end of the movie, we're left wondering if the yak will return to Lunana and, and be a part of if that bond that will never be broken. Yeah, you know, when, I, when this movie screened in Bhutan, it, it was amazing because uh, 
like these films come only like once every like four or five years in Bhutan. And uh, Lunana, by, by that time, it had already garnered a lot of international attention. We had won awards in Palm Springs. And when we were going back to Bhutan, then, you know, people were taking bus rides for like two, three days from remote villages to come and watch the film. And at the end, you know, when we were screening in Bhutan, it was so packed that we had to put like people were coming with garden chairs and putting it in the corridor and on the steps, you know, to watch the movie because the cinema was so full. But then the thing is, at the end, you know, when we were standing outside, all these kids would be going, you know, and th these little children, they would come to me and they'd be like, you're so mean, you know, wh why did you take Ugen away from Runana, you know, he should have returned. But uh, I, of course, when I wrote the script, um, in some versions, I had him returning. But I thought that was very cliche, you know, I think that's what's expected. Yeah, yeah. And what I wanted to tell people yeah, was yeah. that I'm not telling you not to chase your dreams. You should chase your dreams. And I was telling this kid that, yes, you know, actually he, he has returned to Lunana because he's singing the Yak song, you know, because he's singing the Yak song. Lunana lives in his heart, you know, inside he's already there, you know, he's, he's there with Pemzam, he's there with Salden, so. <laughs> and he brings it to the bar in Sydney. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if you're planning other stories. Yes, other actually I am. Uh, I thought I would take a break uh, because, you know, of COVID and everything, but uh, I have already started uh, writing a new script. And uh, this, in a way, you know, goes back to my upbringing in America as well. So uh, it's it's a much more complex story compared to Dunana because now we have about four different storylines coming together, and it touches upon um, the democratization of Bhutan. Um, the thing with Bhutan is that you know. We uh, were a country, we were the last country in the world to allow television. I don't know if you knew that. You know, we didn't have internet, we, we didn't have television up till the 2000s. And in 2000s, we decided to let there be internet, we decided to uh, allow te television, and the king stepped down for the country to become a de democracy. So uh, it's very funny because everywhere around the world, there has to be war, revolution for there to be democracy. But in Bhutan, the king gifted it to the people, but then the entire country didn't want it. They were like, we don't want this. Please, you be the ruler. So it was a very comical, you know, <laughs> phase. And uh, I think these stories need to be made. So it's, it's more of a comedy now uh, about uh, a government trying to teach the people to vote and to be demo democratic, but then the people are not willing. <laughs> that sounds It great. sounds great. I can't wait. Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, let's see, uh, you know, because of uh, the pandemic, everything is kind of slowed down, but uh, I, I hope, uh, you know, maybe in a couple of years, uh, this, we, we, we will, you know, uh, I will see you guys in Wisconsin again. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I have another idea for you. At some point, come back to Wisconsin and do a remake of this do, and just do a cow in the classroom. <laughs> America's Dairyland, after all, right? Yeah. 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 Yes, in northern Wisconsin in a remote uh, town would be good. Yeah. Yeah. It would be wonderful. Well, thank you, Ben. Any other questions you have? 
that we want to get in before we uh, let Paolo go. No, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having Just me, Terry. Yes, we're so excited about the film, you know, being in our festival and and seeing how people will, you know, enjoy it and receive it. And um, yeah, we will hope to see more in the future and and we'll hope that one day, as Ben says, we'll get you home to Wisconsin. The yak will return home. Look forward to it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have some we'll have some beer and some fried cheese curds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still alive.